welcome to episode 59 of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Coming to you sort of live from high atop <laughs> the Mellow Mushroom here in downtown Metropolitan, Franklin, Tennessee. I'm in Studio A. My name's Nate Larkin. I'm here with our fearless engineer, Mondo. And uh, we don't have Aaron live with us right now. Yeah, there's no Studio B today. No Studio B today. It's just A. Yeah. But that's okay, though. That's okay. This is by design, yeah. actually. This is actually back to the old school, to the original. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just yeah. one studio. <laughs> <laughs> and one mic. <laughs> We've come up. Yeah. yeah. Although, i got to tell you, this is better than that dark, dank bunker that we used to uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. record the thing in. That is true. And uh, where the garbage truck went by like yeah. clockwork every halfway m- through the podcast <laughs> yeah, every week. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so we, we've come up, guys. Thank you for all your support. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I've got a, just an absolutely insane schedule this week. You yeah. do, too. Yeah. Lots of things going here absolutely. at K5 Productions. Yep, yep. So it's, it's banana, so yeah, yeah. So what? We, and and I was not able uh, to book a five star guest for this week. We got some great guests coming up. Yeah. So what we elected to do mm-hmm. was punt. Yes. Yeah, we really? are going to have a podcast today, and yeah. Aaron will be here. Yeah. So punting is a very strategic move in the game of football. Yeah, yeah. So well, this is very strategic because actually I have not heard Aaron preach before. You have not? No, I have not. So this is actually a treat for me. I want to tell you, uh, the kid the kid can preach in a, in a California kind of way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I don't know whether our listeners are aware of it or not, but, but Aaron actually is, you know, a certified uh, preacher guy. Mm-hmm. He's one of the pastors of Vintage Community Church in Templeton, Texas, a church that he planted mm. along with Dane... Uh, Mansfield and uh, a bunch of other visionaries from uh, First Baptist Church San Luis Obispo. It's a it's a crazy church. Uh, I haven't visited yet, but I've heard great stories. I'm looking yeah. forward to going out there and teaching sometime. Yeah, that'd be cool, man. Uh, they got a big double wide building that they put on a kind of a wilderness plot of land out there. They've been meeting outside. Vintage. Yeah. Yeah. It's instant. very vintage. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm digging that. And, uh, and Aaron spoke uh, just a couple of weeks ago on the topic of holiness. Hmm. Um, and that's a subject that comes up uh, not infrequently in mm-hmm. our uh, in, dis- in Christian recovery circles. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You know, a lot of us, you know, who come through the doors all beaten and bloody uh, after years of active addiction, uh, we're living in a lot of condemnation and fear. We've been running from this angry God. We're sure that we've now gone beyond the pale. We're beyond redemption. Mm -hmm. Uh, I thought for years that if I could just hate my sin or hate myself enough, I could stop. I just never could seem to hit bottom. Mm -hmm. And... uh, and what I really needed to hear about when I first came into recovery was I needed to hear about the love of God. Yeah. Need to hear about His mercy. Mm-hmm. I, I had to be told that I was never beyond redemption. And uh, and to me, grace was just it was this river that I swam in for so long. And the message of the gospel, the 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 the, the love of God was just such oxygen to me early on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was always aware that that this God who is our Father, who loves us so much, is also holy. Mm-hmm. 
uh, and especially as I stumbled towards sobriety yeah. uh, with so many slips in the early days, um, what tortured me when I stopped to think about it was the holiness of God. Uh, certainly God has, if not higher expectations, then, her, then certainly higher aspirations and greater designs for me yeah. than, than a life of, of continuing in my, you know, favorite sin. Mm-hmm. And uh, so what do we do with the holiness of God? What is that peace? Mm-hmm. How do we approach God most holy? And uh, that's, a, that's a topic that Aaron... Uh, addressed with his ragtag congregation there at Vintage yeah. Community Church a couple of weeks ago. It's uh, up on their podcast site, and we have pirated it. Yes, we have. Right. With that's, Aaron. that's what we do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we're pirates, we're, guys. We're now going to uh, re-present it. Yeah. Uh-huh. As if people haven't heard it. Some- <laughs> So uh, that uh, that is going to be the meat of today's podcast. Aaron Porter uh, talking about the holiness of God. We got a new series. It's going to go for weeks. Uh, we, don't, we don't make these decisions until later. We'll go until we run out of stuff to talk about. We were considering that there are two big categories of Christians that, that we see. We see a group that focuses a lot on love as an attribute of God. A lot of focus, singing, teaching on God is love. God's love, right? No problem with that. And there's another group that really focuses on God is holy. And these seem like two separate groups in how they emphasize what they teach on, what they sing about, what they talk about, how they interact with each other. So, we, I, I feel like we do a lot of emphasis on what it means that God loves us. We're going to spend the next weeks focusing on what does it mean that God is holy. And here is... Is it good? Is it exciting? Okay. Um, here's the purpose. Ready? Four things. One, remember when we went through John, each week we wanted to see a bigger view of Jesus and a closer view. That was the purpose of the book of John is to show his deity. Who is Jesus? We want to see him bigger. But not bigger in a way that distances us from him, but as Jesus gets bigger that we're drawn closer. That's number one. As we look at the holiness of God... We want to actually see God as bigger than we even imagined before, but we're drawn closer. Second thing is remove inappropriate fear. If we don't understand the holiness of God, then we're going to add fear that is not appropriate fear, and we'll know it's not appropriate because it pushes us away from God. And he's our Abba who's given us a spirit that cries out, Abba, Daddy. So whatever it means that he is holy will always usher us into his presence, not push us away. So we want to remove fear. The third thing we want to do is add fear. Mm-hmm. It was a little like a little tricky thing we just did there. If we are not in awe of our God, then we aren't actually worshiping the God of the Bible. 
So there's, there's a little litmus test. In case you're not sure, it's the right God. If we don't have a kind of awesome fear as we approach our God, then something's missing in our understanding of who our God is. So we want to add the kind of fear that's the beginning of wisdom, not the kind of fear that pushes us away from intimacy with God. Remove the bad fear, bring in the real awe. And the third thing is to change uh, any of our wrong views of love. If our understanding of God's love in any way takes away from his holiness, then it's a cheap love. Because God's love was so steeped in his holiness, saturated in this attribute of holiness, that he had to send Jesus to the cross to appease his righteous holiness so that he could give us his love. So if we just go to God as lover but not holy God, then we actually end up cheapening his whole character, his sacrifice, the person of Jesus, and it's all lame. That's the four purposes I came up with. Dane can add more next week. He's not here today, so he doesn't get to have an opinion. <laughs> Kit, should I, should I say again what I said last time? Because I liked it. I don't know if he'd like it. If it doesn't turn out good, Katie, don't tell him. <laughs> Dane is riding motorcycles today with his son, yes? And I was really uh, happy about that this morning. Because he's been planning this for a long time, and then it got canceled, and then it came back. And there's something about being excited that one of the coaches would be blessed off to go spend the day with his son doing something that they love that's as worshipful as anything that would happen here. Especially as people are, like, excited about that for the pastor to not be here but go ride motorcycles. I don't know. It just seemed, that seemed right and good. And I'm not entirely sure which Bible verse goes with that yet because it just kind of came to my heart this morning, but we'll find it. And Joshua rode throughout the land in triumph, in his triumph. Right? Triumph, motorcycles, rode throughout the land. There. There's the motorcycle verse. Come on, people. That was pretty good for the moment. We'll find a better one later. Man. Okay, then. Defining holiness. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this, because sometimes we spend so much word so much time defining a word that we can miss the point. The fact is, the word holiness is never going to capture the fullness of what holiness means in the person of God. The holiness of God is too big, which is the essence of the word holy. We have to be careful because the word holy is used in different ways throughout Scripture. It always means to be set apart or to be separated for something. But as it refers to God, it means that he's different. He's set apart, but not just like... um, You know, a car and a house are separate, but equally useful. It means he's separate and transcendent above all else. So when we approach God and think of his holiness, it's that he's actually better than us and everything we've ever experienced. He's above and beyond. He's perfect in all his attributes. He's absolute and total in all of his character. He's separate but not equal. That's what being transcendent is about. And in fact, whatever we see that's awesome is only a reflection of how much more, how much deeper his awesomeness goes. I was thinking last service when we were talking about how the 80s killed the word awesome. Right? I had rainbow stickers. Awesome. That's sad. 
Really? Because I can't think of another word that can replace it. And there is only one awesome thing in all the universe. God is awesome. And it's because he is holy. So when we talk about his holiness, it means he's separate, different, and utterly above and beyond. Okay? Now, this is a trick question, so probably what you're uh, thinking is wrong, but I'm go ahead and throw an answer out. What would you say God's chief characteristic is? Perfection, love and holiness. Why, why love and holiness? Because we've talked about those two today. So, how many of you like first thing that comes to your mind? Love. It was for me too. Right. Why? Because Scripture says God is love. So we focus a lot on that, saying, okay, it says this is the essence of God. It's what He is. Not God has love, but God is love. But did you know the Scripture says the exact same thing about holiness? They just switch the order of the words. Holy, holy, holy is God. God is holy. Interesting, yeah? Now, I said it was a trick question. I'll explain it in a minute. Um, this phrase, holy, 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 is Lord God Almighty. Today we're going to go to Isaiah 6 because this is where we have to start when we talk about God's holiness. We have to. It's required. And this is where we get this holy, holy, holy is Lord God Almighty. And we need to understand that this called thrice holy, three times holy, is bigger than we can feel because it's not the way we speak. In the Jewish culture, if you wanted to add emphasis, you'd repeat something twice, such as, verily, verily, I say to you. Why does Jesus say this? He says, listen, this is important, truly, this is the truth, this is the truth. And everyone goes, whoa, repetition, this is a big way he's about to say. There is only one characteristic of God that goes to the next level, not just twice, but to the third time means to the utmost degree of whatever it's talking about. Okay, Three times is huge, which is why this has become a part of church tradition from the beginning, through the liturgies, through the prayers. It's all this thrice holy God prayers, thrice holy God liturgies. Why? Because it's that important. It's that weighty. He says, holy, holy, holy is God. This is part of his essence. It's the character of God. But here's why it was a trick question. If we focus on any one attribute of God without having the others always in our peripheral vision, then we will come out with a wrong view of God. Here's how it works. Same for us. Let's pick on Odie. Okay. So, Odie has attributes, right? Corbett, stop laughing. Let's pick one. Which one shall we pick? Okay, worship leading. Psychedelic worship leading. Thank you. If we were to sit here and say, I'm going to describe Odie, and all I did was talk about Odie playing the guitar and singing the songs he loves to sing. Have I just described Odie? No. I mean, this is like no-duh stuff, right? If we focus on any one part of any of you and say, this is you, you're utterly off. Because you're filled with all kinds of attributes, the sum of which makes who you are. 
But when we come to God, we often stop and talk about one character of him. The problem is when we get done defining God through the lens of an individual characteristic and then this individual characteristic, we come out with a bunch of lopsided versions where instead we need to say, we're going to look at this characteristic always with these other characteristics that are always playing into this in mind. We must do that or else we can't come out with a right view of what God's holiness is. And you can see how if we only focus on holiness without that, we will get a wrong view of holiness. The other thing is that we need to acknowledge, I believe, each of us have certain characteristics of God that we gravitate towards. That we keep looking to, that we think about, that we see God through. And we get them two different places. We get them one through our education. So, where did you become a Christian? What kind of church? What were they teaching? This begins to shape the way you emphasize things. If you, you know, grew up at a, a hellfire and brimstone church, then you probably gravitate towards more of the judgment of God, which is part of his personality, the holiness of God, the wrath of God. These are all things that the Bible affirms are a part of his character. But, like we said last service, if you got saved during the Jesus people with Odie, then you're going to focus on the love side of God, you know, the, the groovy love side of God. And so that's always going to be there. So number one, the personality traits of God that we gravitate towards starts with how we're introduced to God. But it's also filtered through our pain, okay, our brokenness. So if if I lived with an abusive parent growing up, then one of two things is going to happen. Naturally, I'm either going to gravitate towards seeing God as that kind of judgmental, harsh, wrath, those types of attributes. I'm going to focus on that because that's all I know of authority figures and fathers. Or I'm going to reject anything that has any of those attributes in it because I'm terrified of God being like that. So if you take your pains, your hurts, stuff you've gone through, you can probably make a trail over to how you see God and which attributes you emphasize. Point of all of this, we have to beware. Because when we overemphasize one without having all of these attributes, the best of our abilities within at least our peripheral vision, we will come out with a wrong view of God. The words that we hear him say to our head and our heart will only be reflections of our brokenness or the broken people that taught us, not his character. That's a scary thing. I don't want to give my heart to that. So here we go, Isaiah 6. I want to start with talking about two characters that are kind of important here. Uh, Isaiah is an interesting guy to me. Chapter 1, verse 1 of the book of Isaiah. The prophecies of Isaiah, son of Amos, who prophesied concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. He was a prophet during four kingships. This is like 65 years he's a prophet of Israel. That's a long time, right? I mean, luckily he wasn't hated quite as much as Jeremiah, because that would really suck. But 65 years, and then we also know through Scripture that he he was from a rich family. He's a rich kid. He's part of uh, Jerusalem's aristocracy. According to rabbinical tradition, that actually goes as far as that his 
father was the brother of the king of Judah. So he's the king's nephew. What we do know is he's basically a prince of Jerusalem. He's a rich kid. He has education, even as we look at how God uses him to write the words that are used. Beautiful compared to some of the other prophets who are sheep herders and other things. He also has free access to the court and the politics of this day. And you need to remember that the politics of that day are full of turmoil. There are all kinds of enemies coming in and besieging Jerusalem and taking over, and the kings are having to decide, do we trust Egypt to help us? And and so he's in the middle of all the politics. But in the midst of that, this is what I love about him. God, through the rich kid, says this. This is in chapter 1 as well. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil and learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. I love that the rich kid got to write all of that. That God made the rich young boy from Jerusalem the one who spoke God's justice for the poor and the oppressed. And he did that because God took him out into the desert where he had the rich boy steered out of him. It was no easy path to become what God was going to use him to be. But God from the beginning built him to be this, right? He's got all the access and all the words to do what God built him to do, just like all of your stories. That God has already built into you a story that is perfect for what God has for you. That's the story of Isaiah the rich kid. Now, real quick, I want to introduce uh, Uzziah the king. Because in chapter 6, where we're going to be reading, it starts with, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Now, this this guy became king when he was 16. He actually was a co-regent with his dad for just a few years. Dad dies, he becomes a king at 16, and he's awesome. The problem is, what happens to the kings of Israel and Judah at that time? If you start out strong, you're definitely going to screw it all up. Man, it's horrible. It's just sad. So, he starts off great. And this ties into what we're going to be looking at today. It says this in uh, 2 Chronicles 26. After Uzziah became powerful, and, and by the way, he was like second richest and most powerful king of Judah next to like Solomon, as far as how, how much the kingdom expanded, how powerful they were in military might. So after he got powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord, his God, and he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Azariah the priest, with 80 other courageous priests of the Lord, followed him in, and they confronted him and said, It's not right for you, Uzziah, to burn incense before the Lord. That's for the priests, the descendants of Aaron, who have been consecrated to burn incense. Leave this sanctuary if you've been unfaithful, and you'll not be honored by the Lord God. Uzziah who had a censer in his hand, ready to burn incense, became angry. And while he was raging at the priests in their presence before the incense altar of the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in a separate house, leprous and excluded from the temple of the Lord. When he died, he was actually buried separate from the other kings of Judah. Even in death, he was cut off and separated. This is a man who did not take seriously the holiness of God. I mean, that's where our story starts. The story of God calling Isaiah begins with the death of the man 
who had no respect for God as a holy God. And in Leviticus 10, we have a very similar story. This wasn't the first time that somebody went into God's temple, tabernacle in this case, with a censer. Leviticus 10. Now Nadab and Abihu, these are Aaron's sons, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said, Among those who approach me, I will show myself holy. In the sight of all people, I will be glorified. And Aaron remained silent. Strikingly similar stories, right? Here are people that, though they were priests, went in with disrespect for the holiness of God, and God shoots fire out of somewhere, consumes them completely, and when Aaron would have come, because obviously two of his sons just got killed by God, and when Aaron is starting to approach God, Moses cuts him off and said, God gave me a message. It's a simple one. Among those who approach me, I will show myself to be holy. I'll show you what holiness is. In the presence of all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron shut his mouth. He had no argument for God who just consumed his sons with fire. Now, as we look at the Old Testament, we see these moments where God's holiness is i mean, terrifying, right? That's the only word. God's holiness is terrifying in these passages. Because we are so far removed from that transcendent place, many of our minds quickly go to, that just seems unfair. God's holiness can seem unfair to us. Why? Because we don't get God. I'm pretty sure, let me put it this way, if we were standing in the very presence of God with the list of all these types of stories that we think are unfair, and we write them out so we're organized because we know it's going to be intimidating being in God's presence, so we list them out. These are the things that seem unfair. Do you think that when we got in the presence of God, any of us would have the guts to read our list or that we would even believe in the unfairness of the list. I don't think so. And the reason I don't think so is because of this. Here's our text. Ready? Isaiah 6, starting in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of the armies of Israel, or the armies of heaven. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me! I'm undone! For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hands a burning coal that he'd taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. He said, go and say to the people, and you'll have to read the rest of chapter 6 to find out what his first message is. Dum, dum, dum. 
It's a long message. We have a view of God through Isaiah's vision. And it's a wonderful vision that God gifts us with. First part, we see God is glorious in his very appearance. Now, all of this is anthropomorphic. These are words to help us understand something of God. Do I think that God sits on a chair? No idea. Where's a robe? No idea. Doesn't matter. We're meant to see it in words and terms we understand. And what we see is, the very first thing is, the very view of God is awesome to Isaiah. He's sitting, and it takes Isaiah's breath away. His robe is filling the temple. Crazy. I mean, how many of you are like trying to picture this in your head? I'm trying to picture it. It's beyond the picture. Even God's appearance is radically glorious. And that's where it starts. That's where it always starts for us, right? What we see. What we see. And there are so many things that we see. What's the most glorious thing you've ever seen? That, like, in your chest, you, it took your breath away. Oh, you sheltered people. It's so sad. Yeah. A New Jersey thunderstorm right on your head. Terror. The awe of that, would you agree that would be pretty awesome? The awe of that is simply a shadowy reflection of the Creator's awesomeness that transcends it beyond our imagination. And that's just what we see with our eyes. There were no voices, there were no words, it was just a sight. What we see of God first must be as glorious as this. Here's the second thing. Angels in a constant state of awe and worship. Angels in a constant state of awe and worship. We have these seraphim and and lots of, there's so many people that have talked about these six wings. Can I lay a foundation for these six wings? Because we all want to know what the six wings are, right? Here's our foundation. Our foundation is, God has given us really no specific insight into the wings, so everything else is just a guess. Okay, that's the foundation. Guess number one. They're flying with two of them. Their purpose? To fly with. Conjecture. I can't prove it. Could they hover without them? Maybe. But they're flying. I like the next two. next two blow my mind. Consider angels for a second. See, what is this conversation we're having? Let's just do a book of the Bible, right? This will be easier. Consider angels for a minute. Do we really have any notion of how broken we are in our creation? God created man a certain way, right? Both male and female, he created them. And then we fell from that and became something else. How far are we now removed from that created purpose and life? A long way, right? A long, it's inconceivable how far we are from our created purpose. 
These angels were created to do exactly this, and from day one until this day, they do exactly what they were created to do and be. That's a level of purity and holiness that seems to transcend what we do with our creation, and yet it does not even start to touch God's holy transcendence because their second set of wings, even though they have never fallen from their created purpose like we did, they cover their faces before God. They cover their faces in the presence of God. Now, all I can know about this is, and we might spend a whole week on this one, but Moses asked God, he said, can I see your glory? He was getting really comfortable with God by this point. And God, being very kind, said, well, no, you'd die if you saw me, but how about you see uh, the shadow of my hindquarters as I pass you? That was the offer God gave. The shadow of my hindquarters as I pass you. Which seems like a small, like, you know, consolation prize. But even seeing the shadow of the hindquarters of God's glory gave him such a glory sunburn that people could not even look at his face and had to put a towel over his head for a long time until that went away. Looking at the glory of God seems to be impossibly awesome. And so here are these creatures, not fallen, who fly with two wings and cover their faces with the other while they cry out to each other. He's holy, holy, holy. He is Holy, holy, holy. His character is holy, holy, holy. All the earth is full of his glory. And they just yell it back and forth to each other. With their other wings, they cover their feet. And this is probably the one that gets the most speculation. Some say it has to do with their service for God. Uh, R.C. Sproul likes the word creatureliness for this. They're creatures. I don't have any idea why they're covering their feet. There's something holy about feet, when we see Moses coming to the burning bush. God says, this is is holy ground. Take off your sandals. Why? What does this mean? I don't know, but there's something holy about it. And these creatures of God are participating in something worshipful and awesome. Now, the question is, if that thunderstorm was going all day, every day, and I was just watching it, how long before I stopped feeling that level of scared, awesome response. Now, last service, it was a different thing. We gave it ten days. I don't know if it would be more or less. How many for you do you think? How many before it diminishes and you kind of go on with other thoughts? Okay, you have a cloak of invincibility, though. (laughs) So you're safe. Just visual, sorry. My seventh grade role-playing game skills kicked in right there, yeah? It's a plus ten defender against lightning bolts. So you have no idea what I'm talking about. All right. How long? How long before the most glorious sunset you've ever seen? If that's all you see all day, how long before you're just like, okay, yeah, I move on? Uh, the most beautiful mountain range. Yeah, not long. I mean, give it a couple weeks and you, you kind of move on. So there's something to be said for the holiness of God where these angels are in his presence constantly and they never get tired of extolling the one virtue that he's holy and glory spilling out all over the place. Never boring. Never come to the end of the awe. 
They sing the song of the Almighty. Now we get to the next thing we see about his holiness. We get to Isaiah's first response. He sees all this. He hears this. While the angels are, I mean, whatever this singing, shouting thing, the whole place is shaking and filling with smoke. I mean, we've already got the train of his robe filling the temple. Now it's smoking and shaking. He falls on his face, utters his first prophetic utterance, which is, I am cursed. Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. His first response to the holiness of God is absolute guilt. Total guilt. It's for all of us. Nobody gets to enter into a true place with God where they get a glimpse of his glory and holiness that our first response isn't to see how that transcendence reflects my utter fall from what I was created to be. Which is why trying to conjure guilt in people, playing guilt trips and things, the churchy kind of guilt trips, what a waste of time. If it's real, I mean, if our relationship with God is real, you don't ever have to talk somebody into feeling guilty. The presence of God will drive us to our faces and we will experience the deepest sense of sad guilt and shame imaginable. If the story ended there, by the way, this would be an awful sermon. So don't worry. Don't tune out just because we don't like the word guilt. Right? Guilt is an important thing. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. So his love is mixed in this. If it was only about holiness and guilt, then we'd be in big trouble. But remember, there's more attributes at play here. But I don't think we need to run away from the fact that God's holiness brings us to a place that we see what's broken in our lives. And it's an automatic response, period, to who God is. We better hurry to the next one, though, right? It's the immediate response of mercy. How, how many verses does God leave Isaiah here on the floor cursing himself for his unclean lips? None. Immediately snaps and the angel goes and grabs some, I mean, how many of you got your mouths washed out of the bar of soap? This is worse, right? <laughs> he goes and gets a coal with some tongs. He's got some tongs in his angelic robe. I don't know how this works. Weird stuff, though. Gets the tongs, gets the coal, sticks it in his mouth, sticks it on his lips. Immediately. Isaiah said, I feel a sense of guilt for my mouth. God goes, bam, take that. And then says, behold, this has touched your lips. The angel speaking. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. He says, oh, I got this sense of guilt. God goes, take care of that. Boom. Sins are gone. Everything paid for. Would you say that's some of God's other attributes at play right in the midst of his holiest place. I mean, everything up to here, we got angels flying, singing, shaking, robes filling, and God's like, uh-oh, there's a creature here, a messed up creature who's feeling guilty. I need to take care of that. If all of the other picture is true of who God is in his holiness, why would he bother? Because there are other attributes at play. There are other attributes at play that in his complete holiness, he has love, absolute love for this fallen creature, this young prince of Jerusalem that he can't leave in his guilt. It's immediate. His total. Now, does 
Isaiah experience this forgiveness? Does he feel it? Oh, yes. Want the proof? Then God talks. Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, here I am, send me, send me. What kind of guilty, scared creature starts being this bold in the presence of the holiness of God? One that's actually understanding and experiencing the freedom that comes from your guilt being removed. That's the only one that starts jumping up and down, asking to be called on by the God of the universe. That's crazy talk. Please let crazy sink in. This is not normal. God immediately says, first Isaiah has a vision. He sees it. The vision brings a sense of guilt. The guilt brings him to his face where he just wants to die. I'm undone. I'm unraveled before God. That's what his words mean. God says, let me take care of that. In his mercy, he forgives. And then God asks one of his famous silly questions. Because God asks questions for our sake, not his. There is no question that God would ask for his own sake that would make any sense. Right? Omniscience makes questions unnecessary. So, anytime you see God asking a question, it has nothing to do with his need. He says, and he's having this like Trinity conversation, he goes, so who shall we send to speak for us? Well, the guy that just got his mouth cleaned out, right? He's ready to speak. The guy who said the most broken piece, oh, don't miss this. The guy who said the most broken piece of my life is my mouth. God says, who can I get to use their mouth for me? Do you get this? God didn't say, oh, who can I go to use their feet for me? I had to say it because this guy's mouth is obviously his problem. God says, let me restore your mouth, and that's going to be the thing that I'm going to use. Why? Because the whole earth is full of his glory, not ours. If God used the stuff we were good at that wasn't broken, the stuff that we already had in control, then we'd get the glory. Hey, he's really good at that, very naturally gifted at that. It's when God says, oh, potty mouth guy, let me cleanse that, and you're going to be my talker. That guy's going to be your talker? That's insane. Yes. Everything about God's way is insane to us. The Bible's already told us that. Foolishness to the wise. Right? And this is Old Testament stuff. It seems to line up with the New Testament as well. Crazy, huh? The God of Isaiah is the same God of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Who will I go? Who will go? Who will we send to speak for us? And then Isaiah says one of my favorite things. And for about two weeks, I've been thinking about this phrase long before we even decided to speak on this. Uh, text. He said, here am I, send me. So at the end of this progression of experiencing God's holiness, he has a zeal to say these words. And these are famous words. Go to Genesis 22. I love Genesis 22. It's where God asks Abraham to kill his son. What a horrific chapter. And it begins with God showing up and saying, Abraham. And Abraham says, here am I, It's the moment when Samuel hears a voice and Eli finally gets smart enough to say, if you hear that voice again, your response is, here am I. 
throughout Scripture at these terribly insane, crazy places, at the burning bush when Moses first encounters God, and he calls his name, Moses, here am I. This is the right response. Do you like knowing the right response? Yes, especially when God's calling, right? So here you go, our crib sheet. The right response to God is always, here am I. And not here I am, here am I. Here's the difference. Every time somebody says, here am I, they're saying, my whole life, here. That's it. That's what it means. Not you are looking for me, I'm over here. That would be here I am. It's a geographic statement. This is a a complete personhood statement. Here am I. And who would dare to say such a thing to the Holy One of the universe? One who's actually experienced this progression. One has come into the presence of the Lord and seen their sin for its sinfulness and experienced the love and the grace. One that all the attributes of God comes colliding in our hearts. And then God says, do you like it? Yeah. Want to do something? Yeah. That's what it is. And do you see any dutiful obligation in Isaiah's response that God says, who will go and speak for us? And he looks around and says, ah, okay, it's the right thing to do. Can you imagine him saying that? Of course not. This is the most fantastically beautiful moment of his life when he says, you got stuff you want me to do? Let's do it. Here am I. Send me, send me, send me. This is when being in the kingdom is fun. When we're actually in the presence of a God that we haven't stripped of this attribute. God is love. And holy is the Lord. Father, hear me when I pray. Send the Savior on his way. Holy Spirit, come and stay. Lord, I'll need you all this day. I am weak and weary, worn. I am bitter and forlorn. Such a dark and dreary land. Come and take my weary hand. Well, Mondo, uh... A nice break from from the podcast routine. Yeah, good to hear Aaron's, Aaron's heart. On, yeah. uh, on the topic of the holiness of God. Yeah, he, he's hilarious to me, actually. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I just love uh, his humor, sliced in with the, the razor blades of sarcasm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know, I love it, man. <laughs> but then you, add, then you add holiness on top of it, <laughs> and it's all good. It's all good. Then. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we'll have we will have Aaron back on the line. We will do the deal next week for real. Yeah. Next week. Yeah, we gotta have a mini meeting because we this is the second week we've skipped the mini meeting. Remember? So, okay. All right. Yeah. So next week. Yeah, man. From the top next week, we will have the mini meeting. There we go. Okay. Yeah. Only I'm not going to do it on the topic of holiness next no. week because we already know where Aaron goes with holiness. Yes, we do. So yeah. we'll, we'll switch it up. Yeah. We'll switch it up. All right. 
But uh, we definitely need the guys' suggestions and uh, and comments and uh, topic suggestions and all kind of different things. If you want to write letters to to here uh, to to here to us here at the uh, podcast? Email us at sampsonpodcast at gmail dot com. Sampsonpodcast at gmail dot com. All right, everybody. Until next week, it's Nate and Mondo from the Pirate Month Podcast. Love you. We'll see you next week. Shame.